It is early in his ministry. And Jesus has been preaching and healing throughout Galilee for several weeks. Now he returns to Capernaum, the town that has become his home base, perhaps hoping to have a little R&R. But this was not to be. Having already witnessed Jesus' power, the people of Capernaum are eager to see more. And as soon as word gets around that he's at home, they show up. Fortunately for them, Jesus takes the opportunity to share the word. But as he preaches, the crowd continues to grow, jostling each other as they attempt to get closer, not wanting to miss a word or a miracle. Given the chaotic nature of this situation, the determination of four men to bring a paralyzed man to Jesus comes as something of a surprise. Yes, many of us heard that story, but if you were hearing it for the first time, you might be wondering what they were thinking. The man whom they are carrying must have been someone very dear to them indeed, for even when faced with the people who have no intention of making way for them, they remain undaunted. While I might have given up and turned around, these men decide upon a bold course of action. They will lower their friend through the roof of the house in which Jesus is teaching. I want you to imagine what that must have been like. The muscles straining as these men lift the mat and the man on it up the stairs. The hard work of breaking through the clay on the roof and lifting out sticks and straw and branches. The cries of those underneath as they try to shelter themselves from falling debris. The grunts of those men laboring to maneuver the mat down between the roof beams the gasp of those who watch and then raise hands to help, the anxious breathing and wide eyes of the man who can do nothing to help himself. Jesus watches as the mat comes lower and lower, his eyes searching the face of the men standing on the roof and then looking into the eyes of the man lying at his feet. Meanwhile, the people surrounding Jesus and the paralyzed man hold their breath, waiting for the miracle that they know, they know is coming. What follows is unexpected for a couple of reasons. First of all, Mark tells us that Jesus responds not to the man's pitiful condition, but to the faith of the men who worked so hard to get him to Jesus. It is their faith. Their trust in him, not the faith of the paralyzed man that moves him to act. Second, along with everyone else, we anticipate that Jesus will indeed heal this man. You would expect Jesus to take his hand and lift him to his feet. But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus looks at the man and simply says, Child, your sins are forgiven. His words boggle the mind. The man is paralyzed, completely helpless, utterly dependent, and all Jesus could say is, your sins are forgiven? Some of that seems kind of cruel. It helps to keep in mind that it was common in those days, and I would venture to say not uncommon these days, for illness to be associated with sin. If you became ill, it was often assumed that you were being punished for something you had done wrong. 
Imagine then what people thought about this man. Surely his paralysis was a sign that he had sinned and sinned big time. For Jesus to tell this man that he was forgiven, that God did not hold his sins against him, that his illness was not his fault, and that he need do nothing to receive such grace was absolutely huge. Imagine the relief, the comfort, the peace this man must have felt upon hearing Jesus' words. Wouldn't you? Imagine, too, the compassion that Jesus' words might have unlocked in the heart of the man's neighbors. Well, not all of them. Among those packed into the house were scribes, experts in Jewish law. They believed that God had given the law to help God's people create a holy and righteous society and that any breaking of the law threatened the stability of that society. They understood that only God, as maker of those laws, had the right to forgive their sins. Logical thinking. Jesus' statement not only challenged the assumption on which their faith rests, it downright offends them. Who does he think he is anyway? These men are paralyzed in their thinking, unable to look at the man lying on the mat with compassion, unable to see the truth that stands before them, the truth of God's grace and mercy. It is blasphemy, they whisper. Jesus is quick to respond. Which is easier, he asks them. To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. And then to everyone's astonishment, he tells the man to do just that. And the miracle for which everyone has been waiting happens. The man gets to his feet, picks up his mat, and walks out the door, the crowd parting like the sea before him. Miracle. Yes. And yet I can't help but think of the faith it must have taken for that man to even try to do what Jesus had asked of him. Who knows how long he had been unable to walk, unable to stand or sit up, unable to move any part of his body. But then it was Jesus who told him to stand. Jesus who saw the faith of his friends. Jesus who had conveyed God's mercy. Jesus who knew him inside and out. And so in faith, he made the effort He stood and picked up his mat and walked. Where are you in this story? Where are you in your faith walk? Perhaps you are like the people crowded around the house and in in the house and around the door, curious longing for something more, just starting your faith walk, just starting to explore who Jesus is and what he might mean to you. Or maybe you can identify more with Jesus' disciples who are not mentioned in this story, but who are sure, were surely watching from the sidelines. Though they had traveled with Jesus for a few weeks, their relationship with him was still relatively new. They were just beginning to know him and to trust him. 
Perhaps you can relate to the men who brought their friend to Jesus. It seems that they had walked long in faith, for they not only trusted Jesus to help, but they understood it was also their responsibility to do what they could to help those in need. And it was this mature faith that moved Jesus to act. On the other hand, you might feel more like the healed man. You might identify more with him who accepted the gifts that Jesus offered and obeyed his command. Though his walk with Christ had not come anywhere close to that of his friends, his faith was growing almost literally in leaps and bounds. Perhaps your faith is growing too, little by little. And yes, a few of you might even identify with the scribes, questioning, even skeptical of the things you are seeing and hearing, unready to take that first step into a relationship with Jesus. And that's okay. You see, all the people in the story were in different places in their faith walks. One might expect Jesus to work only with those whose faith was growing or mature, and yet there he was in the midst of all of them, teaching and healing, challenging and calling, encouraging and forgiving. And so he is with us. Wherever we are in our walk of faith, Jesus is with us, walking alongside us, teaching us, welcoming our questions, challenging us to go deeper, and offering us what we need, love and mercy and grace, the grace of God. Course of Faith Walks takes more than just a few minutes or hours. It is the walk of a lifetime. And sometimes it is good to stop and to see just where we are. Today you have an opportunity to do just that, to see where you are on your faith walk. Our Readiness 360 team has a brief, fun survey for you to take, and we're asking you to take it right now. Now, if you're not ready to do it, it's okay, but we encourage you to take it just for yourself, if nothing else. It's called the Real Discipleship Survey, and I'm going to invite Colin Elder to come up and share with you what exactly you're going to do, and I'll invite the rest of the team to meet me over here. So go, team. (laughs) 